Welcome to The Speakeasy, the podcast that urges you to mean what you say and say what you mean. I'm your host, Allison Emmett. In today's episode, we will investigate professional standards and the pressure to conform to corporate culture. Living in the heart of arguably the most corporate city in America, professionalism can seem like the standard. Take, for example, corporate mogul, former President Deborah Spar, who reinforced a culture of corporate professionalism and lean-in feminism here at the college. At Columbia and Barnard, job fairs and career sessions happen weekly, and sometimes it feels that if you aren't getting ahead, you're falling behind. However, the professional standards demanded of us, especially for women, queer people, and people of color, are grounded in a system that simply wasn't designed for us. We dedicate hours to resume revision and interview prep, all in attempts of conforming to ideals created by middle-aged white men. But then again, having to choose between being authentically yourself and conforming to society's expectations is not a new phenomenon. Although rules like corporate dress codes and email etiquette are pretty standard, it is critical we question the impact these standards have on us. Why does it fall on women to change their speech to sound more like men? What impact does glorifying the speech of the white middle upper class have on people of color? So how do the standards for professionalism in the workplace intersect with the voices of women and other identities? Let's go into the theory. Robin Lackoff, credited as the pioneer academic on gender and language, has written about the difficulties of speech, noting, women are in a double bind. They cannot be both a good woman and a good person. If they speak women's language, they are seen as weak and ineffective, but if they don't, they're seen as unfeminine and therefore unlikable. But world-renowned linguist Deborah Tannen maintains that truly defining differences in gendered speech is impossible. She claims attempts to understand what goes on between men and women in conversation are muddled by the ambiguity and polysemy of power and solidarity. Here at The Speakeasy, we support the mission of communication activism pedagogy, whose mission is to offer careful attention in their teaching to helping students to become aware of systems of injustice and oppression, and to developing students' ability to intervene to make those systems more just. So what does any of this actually mean? Basically, there are all sorts of theory on the most effective way to present yourself in a professional setting. Many books about speaking in the workplace have been specifically written for women. Despite the abundance of advice available, there is no correct way to speak. Instead, we should seek to improve confidence and speaking skills and dismantle barriers to speaking authentically and effectively, not blindly preach the benefits of leaning in. But be more confident isn't going to land you that coveted Goldman Sachs internship or a position at Planned Parenthood, or that union organizing post. While it's true there are certain professional standards that are impossible to avoid, many companies are becoming more progressive. In the past decade, we've seen tattoos and piercings become more acceptable, more casual dress codes, and other signs that white male corporate culture is beginning to crack. Though it's a start, it's absolutely not enough and at the end of the day, you do need to make a living. So here are some ideas on how to work with the system. Time for some tips from the speaking fellows. Practice makes perfect. Practicing for a speech or interview is highly recommended. You are more likely to make a mistake when you're anxious. 
It's not possible to cure anxiety, but practice can reduce it. Don't budge when it comes to your comfort level. When it comes to a part of your identity or speech that doesn't fit within the norms of normal corporate standards, don't be afraid to mention it. Places like universities, nonprofits, or companies that specifically mention disabilities in their mission statements are often open to these things. Use your differences as your strengths. Always highlight yourself and what you uniquely bring to the table. No matter what the situation, diversity always makes a project better. If you are comfortable, speak openly about the struggles and setbacks you've faced and the lessons you've learned from them. It is important to remember, it may not be worth sacrificing personal satisfaction in order to conform to professional standards. Lots of conflicting advice exists and much of it has a corporate agenda. As speaking fellows, we want to remind everyone that there is not one right way to speak. Let's remember the point of this is to say we should be active in our speech, that we should choose our words carefully and recognize how powerful they can be. But that doesn't mean some speech is more influential than others. Up next is junior Ellis Brewing. She's a STEM major. She speaks with a stutter. To listeners who have never listened at length to someone with a stutter, it can take a while to adjust, so I encourage you to be patient. Mm, no one has ever mm, said outright mm, 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 that I'm not smart or that I don't mm, sound smart because I mm, mm, stutter. However, they have said it in small ways, um, mm, cruel tricks of a stutter is that it's often quite common that people who stutter stutter over their own name and um, I also I, I have this too and uh, people always think that I've for gotten it, um, and they don't think that I'm nervous a lot, um, or lying oddly enough because I have to be lying because why else would I be so nervous? And then. They also just think that I'm like making up what I'm saying and that I don't know what I'm talking about. Um, I was trying to come up with examples of like when this had happened and I realized I'm mostly trying to forget all of them because I, I don't I don't think that um, people are trying to be hurtful. I just I don't think that they probably haven't ever in encountered a stutter and just they don't know how to react about it. Um, and then in terms of academia, often times like stutters and 
um, facial impediments have like um, comorbidity um, um, with other mental um, um, disorders um, um, like um, 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 tick disorders and especially ADHD and are often or can sometimes um, be correlated to low IQs um, and so people who know that about stutters often think that I have that as well um, and I don't um, I mean it wouldn't be like a problem if I had that it's just it's not who I am and so I feel like I've always had to work harder to get people to um, listen to me and to um, think that I'm hard because uh, they always assume that I'm not. Something else that uh, people um, who are in academia often think is that like I'm nervous or like I'm prepared um, often times in like a professional setting like on an interview or like even in office hours on someone will don't tell me like calm down or like it's okay and I'm like I know like I'm not nervous it's just like how I talk um and I think I think part of that ties in to the fact that I'm a woman and like I don't want to be seen as overly emotional. That's not something that I want people to see in me in a uh, a professional setting. However, so because of my stutter, I um, in my earlier life shied away from oral communication. Um, however, this actually helped me um, to work on my written communication. Um, I actually I came here like totally in ten on becoming an English major and a uh, creative writing concentration, and then after I would become an author, and I I had this whole um, life plan because like I find that words flow out of my hand in a way that they haven't ever flowed out of 
my mouth. Um, when I came here, I became more and more interested in science, which was something that I was afraid of because I'd always known um, that if you if you found something, then you had to present it. And I was so afraid of like having an oral thesis and of presenting research to a room of scientists that I never thought I could work in science um, and I I became a nurse science major and I, uh, I presented a poster at a conference last fall and I, I loved it and I had a great time and people were mostly kind and I was I was so proud because I had improved my childhood's self wrong the only way that I would say my stutter has restricted me is in the ways I've let it trick me because I just I wouldn't sign up for things um, I just I didn't want to have to explain my stutter so uh, in the middle of high school I I promised my self I wouldn't hold back from something I wanted to do because I was afraid. And after that, I took all of the opportunities I could and just figured that people could handle hearing me stutter in it and it it wasn't until after that I was able to see how much I had let fear control my life um, and I'm just I'm so happy I I stopped giving it that power Despite the corporate standards that exist, don't forget the importance of confidence in your own identity. The Speakeasy is here to help you find your voice and let it shine through. Remember, say what you mean and mean what you say. 
The Speakeasy has been brought to you by the Barnard Speaking Fellows Program. To book an appointment with a Barnard College Speaking Fellow, please visit our website, speaking.mywconline.com. We offer individual sessions and group workshops. The Speakeasy was created by Allison Emmett. This episode of The Speakeasy was produced and edited by Shreya Sundaram and written by Hannah Wentz and Allison Emmett. Thank you to the director of the speaking program, Daniela Kempf, and to coordinator Katie LaSalle, to Barnard IMATS for providing recording equipment, and WKCR for allowing us to use their studios. Thank you, and we hope you'll tune in next time.